Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of Real Block Talk, a podcast brought to you by Imbrex, a global blockchain-enabled MLS that rewards its users for contributing listings and incentivizes the community to curate the platform. On this podcast series, we'll be exploring blockchain technology and its impact on the real estate industry. Today, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Lauren and Steven, and we'll be discussing the basics of blockchain. Before we dive in, I'll hand things over to them so they can introduce themselves. Hey Ryan, it's uh, it's good to be on, and we're we're excited to be doing the the podcast. It's exciting to it's exciting to be working in the crypto blockchain industry, and it's exciting to bring real estate into it. So I think this is a great way for us to communicate some of the challenges we've faced over the last two and a half years building Imbrex and. Uh, you know, relay some information onto both the real estate and the blockchain communities. So, uh, short inter- introduction of myself. Uh, my name is Stephen King, and I don't write books, but I am the CEO and founder at Imbrex. And before I started Imbrex, I was working in the real estate industry in the commercial sector. I was doing uh, mixed-use development and brokerage. And what I learned on the data side is that the information sits behind a, a select few silos, meaning that the, the commercial industry and what I later learned, the residential industry, in order to market their listings, get exposure, they do this on a small set of platforms that have stringent rules and cost a lot of money. So when we came across Ethereum and later the interplanetary file system, which I'm sure we'll chat about, uh, it was the first real opportunity that we saw that we could disintermediate the way that we disseminate real estate information. So it was, it's, really, it's been an exciting adventure so far and uh, we're glad to see the traction that's starting to pour in uh, from the real estate industry and as a team, you know, adding you and adding Lauren and everybody else, it's just been, it's been a wonderful, especially over the last six months, it's been hectic, but it's been fun. So with that said, I'll pass it over to Lauren, who heads our marketing. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. I uh, come from the Financial Times with a background in marketing. Um, although I was familiar with publication marketing, I've always had a passion for technology. Um, and I'm looking forward to spreading the word about Imbrex and uh, being more engaged with the blockchain community, uh, the crypto community, and uh, connecting with real realtors using our social media channels, etc. So, thanks, Stephen. So, so Ryan, what I would like to say is, what we should do. I mean, you can give a little bit about what our format's going to be. So, we're going to do this bi-weekly. We're going to invite guests, both in the crypto and the real estate industries, and we've got a uh, a feedback at uh, the the blocked uh, the real block talk dot com right yep it's a uh, feedback at real block talk dot com yeah so I mean really what we want to do is look we could get up here and we could talk about every other week we could talk about real estate we could be great at that we could talk about the technology uh, we could talk about our own platform we could talk about some of the uh, things some of the features that we've had to build and we're definitely going to get Edward James Brock. Uh, Piyush on to talk about some of the things that they've built because I think they can help other people that are building applications. But I, I think what would be great is if we could start to 
get some feedback from the community to see, first of all, what kind of community is going to be watching this and is interested, and then what paths we should go down. Because like I said, it can be a multifarious route, and uh, we want to make sure that we're able to provide our experience and, and whatever education that will be helpful. Definitely. Cool. Yeah, and anyone that has interest in the real estate space or the blockchain space can join. We're not limiting our audience to, we're not limiting our host to anyone. Um, if you have experience and knowledge, we'd love to hear about it and educate the community. So where do you, where do you think we should kick things off, Ryan? So how about what is blockchain? Blockchain is probably one of the hottest buzzwords, but you know, is it really a buzzword or are we on the verge of a paradigm shift? Uh, so the blockchain is just a public database that permanently records transactions. That's it. No, no big paradigm shift here. Um, no, it's uh, so it's a. There's a lot. There's a lot in that, and so I think what would be helpful is if we if we start with starting from the beginning and then work our way to how we got where we are in 2018. And so just briefly, uh, there was a fellow, JCR Licklider, who in 1962 proposed the intergalactic computer system. So it was a, a networking method that would essentially connect computers uh, within a small geographic region at the time. But it had not been done up until that point. We had, uh, we had computers, not like you would think about computers today, uh, but they didn't talk to each other. So. What happened after that is uh, ARPA, which is a, a government-funded or was a government-funded organization, which is now DARPA, expanded on Licklider's idea, and they created the ARPANET. So they connected three portals. One was, I think, the University of Las Vegas. One was UCLA, I believe, and the other was Berkeley. And don't quote me on that. I know there were two in California and one was in Utah. And so what ARPANET did was they said, okay, we can have these machines talk to each other. So we can start to send digital information back and forth. And But what we need to do is we need to standardize that communication method. And so they did this with uh, standards in the way that we send data as it relates to packaging, addressing, uh, transmitting, uh, routing, and then receiving. And so this was a really big deal because there weren't a lot of people using this system so they could create this standard. And I'm going to come back to standards uh, as we work our way through this, but I, I think that standards today are underestimated. and. Um, it's, it's become more of a problem because of so many people using so many different methods and technology in 2018. So we moved from the ARPANET and then in the 1990s, uh, we really had the public internet start to take off. And this was fueled initially by America Online when they started to integrate with DOS and Microsoft. And what they realized is we have this huge community of people that are coming online and we can connect with them anywhere in the world and or anywhere in the in the United States and it's quick and it's easy and we can really make a good business out of creating content 
and monetizing it, distributing it to this huge community. And so they created this really unidirectional relationship, which was from America Online, and then it went from AOL to all of their users. So it was a one-to-many relationship. So then we move into the 2000s, and the 2000s got interesting. We had this young guy, Mark Zuckerberg, who right now is under a lot of heat because of what's going on with Cambridge Analytica and the whole controversy over you know what they're doing with their users' data. Uh, but he had a pretty good idea. He said, let's expand on this relationship that AOL has created. Instead of us being the content creators, let's have our users be the content creators. And let's have them basically disseminate it to each other. So Facebook and other social media platforms created this bio-directional relationship. However, Facebook stuck themselves right in the middle of that relationship. So they could collect the taxes and they've made a very good business out of it. Um, and then we, we fast forward and we're in 2018. And so 2018, we have this new thing called the blockchain or Web3. So Web1 was the 90s, Web2 was Facebook in the 2000s, and Web3 is the blockchain. And with the blockchain, this is the paradigm shift that, that you alluded to earlier. People through what are called smart contracts and protocols like the interplanetary file system, for the first time in the digital realm, can take full control over their data. And like you said, this is a huge paradigm shift because now the user is going to be able to monetize their data. And so instead of Facebook going and selling all my information to Johnson & Johnson or 2016 Trump and Hillary going head to head and all that information being sold uh, without, with my permission but my indirect permission, I can say, well look, if I want to be contacted in the 2020 election, I'm willing to give up information but here's my price. So those are the type of applications that will start to emerge. And so it's not only going to affect real estate, it's going to affect all industry. And this, this transformation is much different than the first one and the second one. And it's, it's no less important or no more important. It's just different because of the way that we're going to be transferring. It's, we're not going to be just transferring information like Licklider had proposed in 1962. Now we're actually going to be transferring value. So we're going to be able to transfer our own information, but also physical and digital assets that have real monetary value. That's crazy. Uh, I've been following blockchain technology for the past few years, and uh, I've distilled my spiel down to like 30 seconds. But even after I say uh, it's a global decentralized database that is updated and verified by everyone uh, the implications of that is still like so hard to grasp so I'll, I'll give you an anecdote so <clears throat> we uh, so since we've been building Rex we went out in September and we started uh, Imbrex excuse me we just rebranded uh, and uh, so we went out September through December and we've been pitching uh, we were pitching actually commercial and residential firms and so 
the first question they ask is, well, what's what is the blockchain? And there's no there's no there's been no straightforward answer to that. But we get to the data component, and the data is they, they don't know a lot of firms on the commercial side. They do know what to do with that. At least they have. They've said, okay, we're giving our information to one or two major portals right now, and they're locking that up behind closed doors. And so in the commercial sector. They say, explain to us how this data component is going to work. The residential side, though, they're not really sure about the value of their information. They, they know it has value, but they're not sure how much. And I think that comes back to not just the commercial and residential, but the individual. I, you know, I don't know what my data is worth. I know it's worth something. I know that Lauren's data is worth something. I know yours is, but we don't know yet. So there's going to be these new markets that emerge, and the markets are going to d determine what all this information is worth. But it's going to spur these online economies. So people really worry about, you know, we were we were on a panel uh, about three weeks ago, and people bring up AI, and they say, well, hey, is AI going to put the real estate broker out of business? And you know, there there's the response to that was kind of convoluted. It was not right away, and. Personally, I don't think that the, the real estate broker is going to go away. I, I think you'll always need human interaction. I think that maybe bad real estate brokers that don't provide value will go away. But what I'm getting at is the blockchain is going to create jobs that AI might you know, do away with. And you know, I, I would guide people to, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but I would guide people to read about... Um, about token curated registries. It's, um, it was proposed by a few guys from Con Consensus, and uh, one of which is Mike Golden, and uh, the other fellow is Amin Soleimani, who now is uh, running Spankchain, which is actually a, a really good project. Um, so, you know, I, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but it, it, it gets, it, you know, there, there's a lot of education that needs to happen around the data. And I think, you know, in five years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say, wait a minute, why, why didn't we own our data this whole time? Well, why did we do that for the first 30 years? Um, and, you know, it's, there's a lot of answers to that. But, you know, once we do it, we're going to, it's going to really, it's going to be very valuable to the individual. Now, Stephen, what role does the MLS play in all of this because they're obviously a big comp component of real estate uh, agents' day-to-day, -day, you know, doings. So how how are they? Um, how's the MLS serving in this new transition? So the in the residential uh, industry, it's uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, so I don't know. You know, I I, I I don't know how the MLS. So they they've had a good business for a long time and. You know, there's like seven or eight hundred of them, and, and actually, I'm not trying to. I don't want to talk all about Imbrex on this. I actually want to provide other value. But so we actually started with uh, with the idea of syndicating all the MLSs. So we built this backend technology, and we said, hey, let's go to uh, all the MLSs and say, hey, now you guys can actually provide some some uh, some increased value to your user, and the user being the agent where instead of if I just list my property in Houston, Texas, and it gets exposure in Houston, Texas, then we can, we can have a way using uh, this basically platform that we had built at the time uh, where that Houston MLS or that New York MLS 
could share all that data with all the other MLSs but without giving up full control. And that's really the concern amongst all the MLSs is that they don't want to lose control because they've all got their individual niches in their specific regions. And um, so we went to, we, we spoke with a few and it was, you know, the technology, this was, this was early on and the technology was kind of still foreign, didn't have the publicity that it has. So we said, you know, hey, let's put a front end application. But in terms of anybody that tries to hold information, I think going forward, no matter what industry you're in, it's, it's, it's going to be very difficult to keep that walled. I mean, it's, if you look at the last even 10 years, data is becoming more accessible, not less accessible. That's the direction that we're going in. So those that are you know, fighting to keep it encapsulated and behind expensive paywalls, I don't, if they don't adapt, I think it's going to be you know, an, an interesting couple of years for them. Yeah, I think anytime blockchain is mentioned, decentralization is accompanied right there next to it. Um, why is decentralization so important? It's, you know, it's, it's important because it's, it's got to, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to answer that. And you, you can't have a few select entities that control all of one resource. Because when that happens, then, or at least historically, uh, they begin to take advantage because they can, because they don't have competition and they don't have to basically fight like they had to when they had all you know all the competitors knocking at the door it's trying to take them down. It's almost monopolized, right? Uh, yeah, a bit, and it's mm-hmm. it's manipulated. And you know, I'm not saying that everybody does that in every you know company or corporation, but. I would say the vast majority over time, they, they take advantage of what they have. They work hard to get there and then they, you know, they get, they get comfortable. So, you know, I think that that's where this technology is really being released at, at a good time because people should be able to monetize their own information or not, but just have control over where it goes. And, you know, that's what really draws us into IPFS and you wrote that that great piece on the interplanetary file system and you know for those that don't know uh, a young fellow Juan Bennett created the interplanetary file system he was right out of Stanford and he's been working on this for a number of years now and um, his basic premise was you know hey in this web 2 environment if I'm going to send an email using Gmail then the path of that email is going to go from my computer to Google server, you know, depending on where you are, maybe Palo Alto, maybe White Plains, New York, around here, to my recipient's computer. And he said, we have all these laptops in the world right now, all these computing resources that have extra storage. So if we tap into all of that, then we can have that email essentially go from my computer to the recipient's computer from point A to point B or the shortest possible route. So you can cut out these middlemen that we don't need. And you know, that was that that's very interesting. And it's going to a lot of people think about the blockchain right now and they think they see, you know, Bitcoin going to eighteen thousand and 
you know, you see it on CNBC getting a lot of exposure, but what's really underestimated is are things like IPFS. And look, these peer-to-peer data distribution protocols have been around for 10 or 15 years, but they haven't had the right economic incentives to scale. And the blockchain through the currency component and through the crypto economic component gives these peer-to-peer technologies the right incentive mechanisms. So that if I wanna just run an application where I'm storing bits of data all day long for storage space that I'm not using and I'm getting paid in Filecoin or whatever kind of cryptocurrency there is, I'll, I'll do that all day long. And I think, you know, I think most of us would. So, you know, even you can look at mining as well, right? You can, there's, there's new ways to make money and there's new ways that IPFS and the blockchain are, you know, taking this next generation all of us and people that are following this stuff to get creative and find new ways to generate revenue. Do you think these tools will get rid of intermediaries altogether? No. I I um, I think that it'll get rid of some. I, I don't think it'll get rid of all of them. I think there is, uh, you know, a place for some people to be in the middle. You know, and like I said, the real estate agents one. Um, I'm trying to think of, so attorneys, a lot of people think, you know, attorneys are going to go away. I don't think attorneys are going to go away. I think that smart contracts will make things like, you know, selling a house more efficient and go faster. But, you know, maybe at some point you wouldn't need an attorney for that because right now in South Jersey, actually, they don't use attorneys for, uh, for residential. But I, I think in like corporate law and things like that, you know, it's just law is already, I mean, you have to look at every little word and it, it just is, it, there's too much there. But so, you know, it's a long-winded way of answering your question, but I mean, you were in the financial industry, so. Yeah, I mean, I do see it in uh, portfolio managers. They're totally being replaced by automation now. Are they? I mean, robo-advisors and, okay. um, yeah, robo-advisors, like their t- financial advisors are almost becoming extinct because no one wants to pay the middleman to manage their money anymore. It's all done through robos. Yeah, so the, the financial industry, I can see that because the financial industry has done such a good job at all taking a little piece. So if I get a dollar, I mean, between Uncle Sam and every other financial entity that that touches, between my bank, I mean, if you're going to invest in, you know, you name it, whatever stock, and you, or if you're just going to have a 401k, 401k is a great example, mm-hmm. there's like three or four different interests that take a piece of that pie along the way. Where yeah. So yeah, I agree with you there. Could you go back real quick and describe what a smart contract is for those who might not know what one is? Yeah, so it's just a, it's, it's just basically a protocol that uh, negotiates and tracks the performance of a contract. So, I mean, a smart contract is to a paper contract to what a smartphone was to a phone. I mean, it's really just it's the same thing, you can just do more with it. And so a smart contract is pretty unique in that we can do things like set parameters and store money uh, without using some of these centralized organizations. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that we want to make a bet. Do what? Do you watch football, soccer? No, but uh, we can pretend that I do. Um, all right, so let's 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 do this. So let's bet 
that the price of ETH is going to hit a thousand by today. It is May second, third, third. So it's <clears throat> May third. So let's say that ETH hits a thousand by July first. So who okay. want who wants to take that bet? Over under. I'll take over. Over a thousand. Under. Okay, under a thousand. I'm going to take over. So all right. So we're all betting. Let's say we're all betting. You know. Five ETH each, or five dollars. We'll use dollars for this example. So we all bet five dollars that it's going to be over. Uh, you, you and I, Ryan, bet that it'll be over a thousand, and Lauren bets that it's going to be under. So today, if we're going to make this bet, if there were a lot more of us, we, you know, go to Vegas and tell Vegas to basically hold all of our money, and then at the end of the, you know, at, at July first or July second. We would, they would do the payout. So we would, we would trust that somebody in Las Vegas or whoever we're trusting, whatever human, that they're going to determine at the end of this uh, bet, this time duration, uh, who won, and then distribute the funds. So you and I will be splitting Lauren's five dollars, two, two and a half each. So with a smart contract, we could make it much simpler. We could all put our five dollars into the smart contract, and then we could write parameters that say. You know, on July 1st at, you know, uh, you name it, midnight, whatever time we decide, um, pay, take the funds that are in the smart contract and withdraw them or distribute them to the entities or the addresses that voted for ETH to be over a thousand if it is over a thousand. Conversely, uh, withdraw the funds for the person or addresses that said it was going to be below 1,000. Quick question, where are these going to be written down, these parameters? So they're in the smart contract, and then it's being deployed on the blockchain. Uh, okay, so like on a computer or like... Yeah, okay. so we, you'd write them in Solidity if we were using Ethereum, and we would launch the contract on mainnet, and then, you know, at it, it mainnet... I mean, these smart contracts are dormant, so they need to be called uh, at some point. Uh, and the case, in this case, the call would be the time duration, so it would be whatever parameter we set. Uh, and it would be also us, we'd have to withdraw our funds, so we'd be calling the contract. The contract would say, okay, this address, according to the rules, if it was Ryan and I that won, our address, so we would say, okay, these addresses are okay, withdraw. So can the average person write a smart contract, or does it have to be someone who's extremely proficient in coding? Uh, so I'm not a developer, but I know enough about it where you know you don't need to be a, I mean, you, you need to be a developer because, let me put it this way, the, the language is not that difficult to read, and it's these contracts should not be that long, um, but they're really sensitive in that if you make a mistake, you're dealing with money. So you don't want to make a mistake, and you definitely want to be a, a, a you know, developer to do this today. Where that goes in the future, you know, we'll see. But yeah, I would I would not recommend anybody mess around with that other than if you're just trying to learn and have some fun. Yeah. Well, they're making uh, templates and there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes to make things easier in terms of writing smart contracts. Yeah, there's a, a bunch of different languages that uh, are, are picking it up. So it's, it's, it's moving along. It's come a long way in a short amount of time. So basically, everything goes back to trust. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, you know, there's there's 
there's a lot of this technology will help with the trust component because we'll be trusting code. Now the code is going to have to be heavily audited and uh, people are going to have to know how to read that code. You know, if I'm, if I want to, you know, transfer something like a house, then I want to make sure that the, the parameters that are in that contract, that I understand them, just like I want to understand a, a paper contract today. Um, but we're, you know, I think we're a ways off from that. I mean, I, I think another thing that needs to happen, and this goes back to the, the standardization that we spoke about in the, in the 1970s with TCP, IP, so we created those standards to, you know, package and disseminate data. And so we had these rules that everyone agreed to. And it was easy because no one was on. We don't have rules. We do have rules now for transferring these digital assets, so the cryptocurrencies. We all agreed on a global standard, more or less, you know, Ethereum, Bitcoin, how to send, you know, 100 Bitcoin from, you know, the United States to China and how to accept it. So we've done that, which is a, it was a huge uh, achievement. So next, we have to come up with a way to bridge the gap between the physical world, i.e. a piece of real estate, a bottle of wine, a piece of art, and the digital world, so a, a digital hash. And we have to associate the two and agree that the two are related. And in real estate, this is more difficult than people lead on. So if I, right now you have all these different portals and when people market their properties, they're spelling the address so many different ways. Google Maps does it one way, uh, you know, you name it, the real estate portal, somebody, it's, it's an agent putting it in. So you can use longitude and latitude to identify a property, but when you translate it from numbers into text, uh, there's no conformity that's been agreed to yet. And so, this this bridge needs to be crossed or connected and uh, the blockchain is a is a good time to do this because there are some companies that are trying to do this themselves which personally I think is a mistake I think that it needs to be done in an open source environment and there's a couple of EIPs that are I think it's 774 don't quote me on that but there's one that's that's out there that's looking to do it with uh, digital collectibles like CryptoKitties and there was another one, 994, uh, and that did have real estate, uh, but I, I don't know how much that went into it. But we need to agree that if I'm going to sell my house to Lauren, that that address uh, is associated with that digital hash that's in that contract. So that when Lauren gets the contract or gets the funds and basically has ownership, that she knows that she has ownership of that house, that I can't come back and say, well, hey, I want to dispute this because I really didn't give it to Lauren or that address is really not you know, associated with this particular hash. It sort of verifies the property. It, it does, yeah. And so there needs to be you know, a way, just, just general rules that are accepted at least domestically, but we have a, a, a bigger opportunity, which could be done globally, where we just say, okay, we're going to troubleshoot all the addresses in the world and all the different spellies, spellings, and we're going to get the, the correct spelling and, you know, look, these can change over time, but we're all going to agree that 123 Apple Street is 123 Apple Street associated, you know, with this particular hash. And if you do this on a global scale, then you'll be able to move these physical assets way quicker and much more efficiently. So it's, you know, it's really exciting. There's a lot going on. And, um, 
there's a lot of different rabbit holes that we could go down just you know chatting the three of us but I'd, I'd be interested to see what kind of feedback we get on this what type of topics that people would like to you know hear about we you know we could talk to people in the uh, in the crypto in the real estate industry um, you name it so you know it'd be it'd be great to see what people are thinking what they're curious about all right that seems like a good place to stop so thanks for joining us on the very first episode of real block talk don't forget to like share and subscribe but definitely be sure to leave us some feedback by emailing feedback at realblocktalk.com. Thank you.